0: Welcome to Podship Earth. This is your host, Jared Blumenfeld. Nayeli Kobo grew up in Esperanza Community Housing in South Central Los Angeles, a mile from the lush grounds of USC and just 30 feet away from a polluting oil well. When Nayeli was nine, she and her community started getting nosebleeds, nausea, headaches and asthma. And Nayeli began a crusade to shut down the oil drilling in her neighborhood by focusing on the power of storytelling. Nayeli and her mom, Monique Uriate, shone a bright light on what was happening in their community. I first met Nayeli when she was 12, asking simple questions like, Would you want an active oil well next to your home? Nayeli and her community fought tooth and nail and eventually triumphed in getting the Allen Co. owned oil facility to close. Nayeli is now 20 and has spent more than half her life fighting oil drilling in neighborhoods across her city, but it's come at great personal hardship and sacrifice. I start by asking Nayeli to describe growing up on West 23rd Street in L.A.
1: My neighborhood is made up of the most hardworking people you can imagine. They're people that work 14, 16 hour days to provide for their families that are the most happy and caring, like sense of community that you can imagine. Like if my mom wasn't able to pick me up from school, she would just say, oh, our neighbor's going to pick you up and take care of you for the day. No big deal. And I would just hang out with our neighbors or if we were walking and we saw the ice cream man and we didn't have any cash, it was totally fine to just grab an ice cream or two and just pay him tomorrow when I saw him again. Like it was that sense of community that we had. It was a sense of just everyone being neighbors and as a family, like you don't have salt, go ask the neighbor. Maybe he'll have salt and tomatoes for you. Like it was it's that sense of family and that you could knock on everybody's door with their home and their family being as welcoming to you as your own is to you.
0: And do you still live there?
1: I moved when I was 14, but I'm back in my, that's still my, when I think of home, I do think of that community and I don't think I'll ever feel as home as I felt there.
0: Nayeli, you also had some less than great neighbors.
1: It was our neighbor, our silent killer neighbor, the Alanco energy was growing up 30 feet across the street from an active oil well. And... Breathing those toxic emissions and seeing our health decline as a matter of that, it was then a common conversation starter within our community for the parents to be like, my daughter had an asthma attack last night. How's your son's asthma doing? Or my daughter had such a bad nosebleed. That's how we would greet each other. And that's not how it should be.
0: When did it turn from like, oh, yeah, there's an oil well to like, holy crap, that's
1: polluting our neighborhood. We moved into that apartment building when I was four, so I had no idea. And the well, Alenco operates behind these really big, tall walls. So it was always up to my imagination what was behind there. And I used to think it was a parking structure. I, For a time, I thought it was an amusement park and was always jealous that they didn't let me in because I wanted to go on the fun rides. It wasn't until 2011 when Alenco had a a week-long leak that my community smelled like guava. So when drilling for oil, there's already so many chemicals exposed to the air and toxins, but what Alenco would do is they would use even more chemicals to sort of mask the smell. So then the community would smell like chocolate or fake guava, citrus, just to like cover their tracks. So when they had the leak that we realized and I was 10 years old and I went inside from a late night yoga class with my sister and the smell was so bad. I just thought it was like maybe an outside thing and just went inside and the house was empty, which is really weird for us because we are a family of like 12, like the house is always full. And my mom comes out of the room and is like, oh, everybody, we're all sleeping in one room tonight with the air purifier. Like the smell is actually this oil well. And that's when we were like, oh, crap, this is something actually really serious. So all 12 of us slept in my sister's room with the air purifier on. And the next day, I remember my mom and I walked to school, but we went earlier to stop in front of Alanco and read every sign. I mean, and the sign that has always stuck with me is one that reads toxic chemicals known to the state of California to cause cancer, birth defects, and reproductive harm. And that's not like on a pencil case. It's not on a Skittles bag. That's and an oil well facility 30 feet away from my home. An oil well that operates with nine surrounding schools in the area. And they share the wall with two of them, a high school for children with disabilities and a university, and that university also has a daycare for their students. Like, it doesn't belong there. It really doesn't.
0: And Naeli, when did kids in you start getting, like, nosebleeds and headaches and nausea?
1: I was, again, nine years old, and I was always a really healthy little girl, so the first time I got a nosebleed, we just brushed it off thinking it was a really hot day, didn't drink enough water until it happened two or three more times that week, and then the next week it was every day, and then the nosebleeds would get so intense that I couldn't sleep. I would sleep in a chair to prevent choking on my own blood at night. It was nonstop. You would eat, you'd have a nosebleed. You would go to the restroom, nosebleed, shower, nosebleed trying to watch TV, nosebleed. Like it was every day at school. I remember one time we were taking a test and the teacher told us, okay, this test is super important. Like it's a state exam or whatever. There's absolutely no crumbs. There's no paper marks. And this kid got a terrible nosebleed. His whole paper was covered in blood. And we were like freaking out about this poor kid I'm like what what the teacher was going to do. And he did get in trouble. I don't know why, but he got in trouble for getting blood on his test
0: it was a lot of kids and adults and older like it it kind of felt crazy at the time
1: it wasn't just me it wasn't just my family it was most of my community like personally I had nosebleeds stomach pains headaches nausea I developed asthma that's something I'm always going to have to live with now Heart palpitations, I had to use a heart monitor for several weeks, body spasms that got to the point where I couldn't walk. My mom would have to carry me from place to place. Within my family, my mom developed asthma at 40, which is super rare. And then my grandma developed it at 70, which is even more rare. My sister has thyroid issues. My brother also has asthma. Like it's, again, it wasn't just me or my family, it was most of my community. Like It's heartbreaking to know that these industries will do studies to see what communities are more vulnerable and more susceptible to to these issues and to not know their rights, essentially. And they chose the wrong community. You know, they chose a community full of fighters and activists that were not going to let them poison us. You know, where to them we might be just a statistic or a little black dot or... Or something, but we're human. I mean, I'm a 20-year-old girl that just is figuring her life out, you know? Like, it's all of these things that we go through, but then these industries take that from us because they deem us as less than, because profit is more important to them than my health or my community's health, and that's, that's not okay. Those people should not be in those positions of power. They shouldn't. Our elected officials... And us as as citizens, we have a lot of work to do with with just standing up for each other and supporting each other and and showing up to create change.
0: So, which you did in a big way. Tell us about like how you and your mom and the community kind of campaigned to say enough
1: is enough. So, when we realized that this was an oil well, Esperanza was very fortunate. The um, nonprofit that owns the apartment building that was affordable housing that I lived in and where my mom actually works, (laughs) Esperanza, um, was very fortunate to connect us with physicians for social responsibility. And PSR LA sent a toxicologist to come speak to my community. And that's when we officially connected the dots with the health impacts and oil industry. And People Not Bosos was born, People Not Wells, which is a grassroots campaign in my community, which I'm a very proud co-founder of. What started with just going door-to-door knocking, town hall meetings, city hall hearings, and sharing our stories changed my life without even realizing it. It I grew a lot as myself, like as a person, while doing that, public speaking and advocating for my community. The power and the change that we did create as a community, as a nine-year-old, learning the difference between fracking and and acidizing for my community. That's not what a nine-year-old should be doing, you know, and that was my reality. It was, okay, if I want to create change and I don't want this well to be here, I have to understand, I have to educate myself on this. And after school, after I did my homework, my mom and I would go online and we'd research. And even if we read the same paragraph for 10 hours because I was nine and nothing made sense to me. (laughs) We did it because I knew that was going to benefit my community more than me playing with Barbies. And that's what I really wanted to do. I just wanted to play with Barbies or play outside or watch Disney Channel. And I didn't have my childhood. It was me not being able to go outside because I would be exposed to more toxins. It was not opening my windows because, again, so many things that I wasn't allowed to do to survive. We were sharing our stories and and just trying to spread the word about what was going on because nobody knew that Los Angeles is the largest urban oil field in the nation.
0: And your advocacy paid off, which is incredible.
1: So after four years of advocating, we were very fortunate to capture the attention of the LA Times. They wrote a story about my community and that article actually captured the attention of U.S. Senator Barbara Boxer. She flew out and had a press conference in front of my apartment building and plead Alenco to cease operations. And I'm very proud to say Alenco has been temporarily shut down for eight years now because of our community's efforts. Then we realized that we weren't the only community being affected by this. So about 580,000 Angelinos live within a quarter of a mile or less to an active oil and gas well. And that needs to change So Stand was born, Stand Together Against Neighborhood Drilling Los Angeles. And this is a coalition that works tirelessly to phase out oil wells with a just transition in the city of Los Angeles. I'm also a co-founder of the South Central Youth Leadership Coalition, which with Communities for a Better Environment and Youth for Environmental Justice, we sued the city of Los Angeles for environmental racism and CEQA and won. So now when reopening or expanding Wells, there is a new application process, which includes a new application itself and a memorandum, which is amazing. Like us youth did that. You know, we claimed our future back. We said, you elected officials have the power to do something and you guys are choosing profit over our health. And with 12 years until climate change is irreversible, every act, every little thing that we do counts. And it's... Not about five years from now or 10 years from now, 20, we don't have that time anymore. It's act today, act tomorrow, now. Like, don't push off little things that can lower your carbon footprint. Like, we don't have tomorrow if we really think about it. Like, the power that we have and the obligation that we have, I feel like, to protect our our Mother Earth is much more important than anything else that we have going on right now.
0: I completely agree. I mean, going back, Nayeli, to, okay, so you're nine, and then like 12, and you know, you, you there's a lot of pushback against you from the oil industry, and they must have realized how effective you were going to be as an advocate, but they did all kinds of dirty tricks to try and stop you from having a voice.
1: As long as I'm willing and able, they're they're not going to win, honestly. Like, I know why I'm fighting, and I'm fighting for for my health, my safety, my community. I may not know all the science, but I know my story, I know my community story, and at the end of the day, storytelling is a very compelling form of activism that sometimes does go unnoticed, and if I can create change just by sharing what my community has gone through on a day-to-day basis, why why would I stay silent? They're not going to (laughs) win.
0: Do you want to talk about the SLAP lawsuit?
1: So once we won like the whole lawsuit with the application, then the oil industry sued us, the youth, on the terms that we have no right to tell them where to drill. That was really stupid, if I'm being honest, and we won. <laughs> then when we won that one, they also sued us to try to get us to pay their attorney fees, which would come out to $750,000. We also won that, so... They're not, they're not going to win. And it is really frustrating to see like how they always push back the extremes that they will go to to not have any accountability about what they're going through. And it's, they're not going to win. I mean, they can try to hide, but I'm a person of faith. I'm a woman of faith. And I always think of David and Goliath. I know how that story ends. And this is exactly how this is going to go down
0: weird tangent but one of the aspects of this was that the catholic church owned the facility and you have pope francis the real leader for anti-poverty and environment and yet tell us about kind of it was a little bit of a weird
1: twist in this story um so alanco actually operates on land leased to them by the archdiocese of los angeles i have always gone to catholic school first through 12th like senior year of high school and it's Because of that, because of what they teach us about protecting God's creation or the Beatitudes and loving our our neighbor, the golden rule, it's that I call them hypocrites. Like you can't choose profit over people's health and profit over the people that serve that church, that serve that community, that church's health. Like that's not what Jesus would do. It's hard to know that someone that's supposed to be spreading the word of God or something so beautiful and powerful, they're doing something so inhumane, something evil, something that's literally killing people. And the science is there to say that, hey, people are literally dying because of this. And the church is still going, well, I collect a check.
0: So... I remember talking to your mom early in the campaign and she was like, Jared, we would phone the people, the regulators, the air district, the city, the federal government, and just no one would come. I mean, it was like at the beginning, you were a community that just was saying there was a problem, but very few people were listening.
1: Yeah, it was four years of us advocating and and screaming in silence. It felt like it was. I mean, just saying my neighbor is an oil well. How do you not want to get out there and and do something for that community? Like, but it's not just my community. It's the community next to us. And the one after that, it's 580,000 Angelenos, that this is our reality, that our neighbor is a silent killer, that our neighbor operates 24-7. We're constantly exposed to these chemicals. We can't get away from them. And when Alenco would operate and if the windows were open and the smell would come inside, it would take hours to get the smell out of the house and when calling South Coast AQMD officials we would have to be nine different households within a span of two hours so like I said we were 12 people in one home that was one phone call so then we have to go door to door hey can you can you call to go on the next door hey can you call to I just called 30 minutes ago we have an hour and a half left we need seven more people we need eight more people And then when they would, if you did get those nine calls, they would send an official two hours later, which by then the smell was probably gone. Then they would ask you ridiculous questions like, oh, what did it smell like? Gas? Oh, did you just leave your stove on? Sometimes that happens. No, it's definitely not that. Oh, well, where were you standing? North? What? I was in my house, sir, and it smelled like I didn't do all of these questions or if I was right by the door and facing up with my head facing the right side. He would do that exact same thing. I don't smell anything. What? Like, that's all you're going to do? And if he didn't smell anything, then he wouldn't go and do an investigation inside the well. I mean, there was always comments like that. Like, you're only nine, sweetie. You don't know what you're talking about. Or leave this to the grown-ups." Or shouldn't you be in school Yeah, I should be in school. I want to be in school, but I'm not because these adults that have been leaders for so long aren't doing a good job. You guys aren't listening to the signs, aren't listening to us, our stories, our cries, and pleads for help. Like, we're just being silenced. Like, if there's a chance that me missing school to go to this meeting is going to create change, I'm going to be at this meeting instead of my 2 p.m. English class. Like, it's a no brainer for me. Because this is a life and death issue for my community. And when people realize that this isn't a joke to me, this is real, this is affecting our lives. I think that's another thing that pushes them and drives them to create more change. But change doesn't happen overnight, which is also hard and frustrating. I wish it did, but it's hard to remain sometimes so consistent in this work because I've been fighting for 11 years to, to do this and it's more than half of my life if we think about it. And I'm only getting started.
0: <laughs> How are you doing? What did your day look like today, Nayeli?
1: Today, well, I was diagnosed with stage two cancer January 15 of 2020. So I was diagnosed with a reproductive kind of cancer. So I did lose my entire reproductive system, so all six organs, as well as 20 lymph nodes, because if I have a reoccurrence, my odds aren't that good, so we did everything to minimize that. And after three surgeries, eight minor procedures, fighting off two infections, three rounds of chemo, and six weeks of radiation, I'm officially, what month is it, November, 11 months cancer-free. Um, and today I did have another procedure, sort of like a colonoscopy because radiation did burn my bladder and my intestines and my colon while saving my life. It also caused other things that are my new normal. So I did have to go do that to see how everything's looking, I guess. But yeah, it's, it's hard because a lot of the times it like you're in remission, like why aren't you back in school? Or you're in remission, like why are you still in bed so much? You're like, it's, I, my body went through all of that and it's still going through so much. Like now I have lymphedema. I had no idea that even existed, but it's when you don't have lymph nodes and you get like this built up fluid and with, you get so swollen that you can't even move because it feels like you weigh a thousand pounds. So from the waist down, it's super painful where I can't move It's cramping all the time. Like it always feels like I'm on my period. And that's very uncomfortable. It's nausea. I love food. I'm such a foodie, but ever since chemo, I don't get an appetite. Like I can go all day, two, three, four days without eating at all. And that's not normal. And it's not like healing is in a straight path. (laughs) Um, And it's, it's hard sometimes when you are dealing with all of these things and you get comments or DMs like go back to school or this and that. And it's it's really hard because when you do see them, you do start to think like, oh, now that I think about it, I've I've been out of school for two years. Like my friends are about to graduate and I'm a first year. Like you do get all of those other things and feelings and a person, as a person that does struggle with mental health and is like diagnosed with depression and anxiety, it's, it's not helpful <laughs> to see those things. And it is, it's hard. And that's something I'm still learning to deal with myself.
0: I mean, that's so hard to deal with for <laughs> anyone of any age. So you've, you've had an incredibly full life at 20. And I mean, the medical stuff that you're having to deal with is just so, so hard. So I'm, the good news is that you're, Cancer free for eleven months. Yes.
1: I will take like these small annoying procedures any day over like chemo pains. So I try not to complain, but it's still hard <laughs> for sure.
0: And when you think about the environment that you grew up in and the connection, I mean it's hard
1: to ignore? Oh, a thousand percent. I wholeheartedly a hundred thousand percent believe that Alan goes why I have had cancer, especially because it wasn't genetic. Like even my great grandma, when she was still here, she passed when she was 104, was tested, not genetic. My grandma, not genetic. My mom, my sisters. So there's no, there's no other reason I feel like. And it is really an hard real, to prove that because there isn't a test that's like, oh, it was this oil well, but I truly believe that it was them.
0: You are the living embodiment of that struggle and of the impacts on your body and health. And how does that affect how you think about your future and how you want to continue struggling or not?
1: You have cancer. Like, your whole world turns upside down. All of these things that I thought mattered were, like, so stupid now. Like, I would cry over... A C on a test, come on. I'd cry over a text. I'd cry over a guy like, oh, no. Like there's so silly things that now you're just perspective on life changes. The only thing I've ever known 100,000% was that I wanted to be a mom, that I wanted to be pregnant. I wanted to do all of that. And at the age of 19, to have that robbed of you, like the first question I asked was, can I have kids? And obviously the answer was no. But to then know that the treatments I'm about to go through or just cancer in general, once you have cancer, you are more susceptible to other cancers. You sign papers that say, I understand chemo and radiation can also give me more cancer in the future. Like the things that are saving your life are also killing you. And that's a tough pill to swallow. It's its hard to make that decision that you want to do those treatments. It's hard to, to go through those treatments and it's hard really hard when you had to do them alone, first of all, because of the pandemic. So I'd I'd have to do all of that alone. But I fight so no other youth has to go through what I threw. You know, my medical case is one in a billion. And if by sharing on Instagram or on a podcast or in an article what happened to me, if that inspires another young girl to go to the doctor sooner or to advocate for herself more at that medical office, it's a no brainer for me. That storytelling is a, is a form of activism and sharing what happened with me. It's, it's the same thing with my cancer journey. Like I spent five years going to the doctor and being ignored or just they would tell me it'll go away after menopause. Like you're 15. I don't want to hear that my pain will go away after menopause. That's 50 years from now. Or when they would just tell me, oh, you shouldn't have that pain. I don't know what's wrong sure I came to the doctor because I know something is not wrong and I don't know what's wrong like you're supposed to be helping me the medical field is also another thing that we have a lot to fix (laughs) that's probably our next project
0: (laughs) so your mom has been like an amazing champion with you it feels like you're a team oh yeah and how has she supported you
1: my mom is my best friend. Like, she's my mom, my dad, and my best friend, and my nurse all in one. Like, this morning I, w- I was crying, so she was my therapist this morning, too. Like, she wears many hats. She never made me feel like I was going through it alone. Like, when I would have really bad pain or I I just didn't want to go through through the treatments anymore. I, I remember when before my last round, I... I was so done after two chemo rounds. I was like, I, I can't mom. And I was just crying. And I was like, I can't do this anymore. Like these next round, like I, I'm done. And she said, it's okay. It's okay. And just let me cry for five hours. I don't even know how long I cried for, but she was just, just telling me it's okay. That it's okay to not be okay. It's okay to have those feelings that nobody in the world knew what i was going through unless there was another 19 year old going through chemo and radiation in the middle of a pandemic that was going through reproductive cancer she was like you're allowed to have all of your feelings and more so feeling that it was never a sign of weakness that i just didn't want to fight anymore that it wasn't a sign of weakness when I would just cry, like all of these things that she she always made me feel like I was safe, okay, and strong, and that's all that mattered, so now, whenever like i I have breakdowns or something, I'm like i that's what I tell myself now, I'm like, I'm okay, I'm safe, that's all that matters. Nobody knows what my mom and I went through this past year, even like my siblings and stuff, like well they they obviously know, but it's Nobody lived it the way my mom and I did. Like she would have to hold my hair back after chemo and she would have to clean my stitches or she would take me to all of my pick line appointments. And it was a new relationship and a new level of of Yeah, we got a lot closer than we were. We've always been close, but after like her bathing me for six months, you definitely get a new level of clothes. So we are, we're the best buds.
0: (laughs) The youth movement has gained a huge amount of traction. When I look at kind of what you've been doing since you were nine, I mean, you really brought a voice to environmental issues that now there's all kinds of people from Greta to others that are pushing it. But like, you've been in the trenches doing this probably longer than anyone. And does it feel gratifying that youth voices are now coalescing and it's turned into a movement?
1: It definitely does. Like, it's so amazing and empowering to see so many youth globally standing up and claiming our future back. It's, I mean, that's what we should be doing. You know, we are the next generation. We're the next doctors, the next lawyers, the next presidents, I run for president 2036, vote for me. I will. (laughs) Just leaving that in there. Um, I'm claiming my future. You know, I'm demanding what's rightfully mine. You guys aren't listening to the science. You guys aren't listening to the the adults. Maybe you'll listen to us youth. You know, and when a youth talks or when a child talks, there is a way that they just silence the room. Like a youth goes to a city hall hearing after 30 adults, you are going to be like, oh, wait, what? Who's this girl? Who's this kid? Like, it's so empowering and amazing to know that at such a young age, we're already so empowered. We already know what we're capable of, and we're not going to let anybody silence us or try to shut us down. I think that really shows what kind of a generation we are and how we're not going to settle for anything less.
0: A huge thank you to Nayeli Kobo for talking with Podship Earth today. Nayeli's strength, vulnerability, humanity, compassion, and sense of justice is incredibly palpable and moving. Nayeli's willingness to share her story, no matter how much pain it evokes in her and the listener, is the embodiment of talking truth to power. Her clarity that polluters must pay the price for their wrongs and that urgent action means doing something big and bold today, that tomorrow is simply too late is a wake-up call for us all. Nayeli takes each day as it comes, bringing everything she has to the struggle. She lost her childhood so that others wouldn't have to, and in the process, Nayeli Kobo helped create the Global Climate Youth Movement, which is now the most powerful force for change on the planet. Nayeli, thank you for everything you've done and will do and for taking the time to talk at the end of a long, hard day. And thanks to each of you for being part of the Podship Earth journey. From the entire Podship Earth crew, sound engineer Rob Spade, executive producer David Kahn, and from me, Jerry Blumenfeld, remember that the stories we tell help shape the world we live in.